All manner of monsters, madness and magic have forsaken these lands, Raziel. We shall free Nosgoth of this plague. I grow tired of your fatalism, King. The lords of monsters, madness and magic are no more plague than you, vampire. Now, come, Nosgoth awaits. Madness and Magic. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I am Justin, joined by my co-host Jason and eventually Marcus. And this evening we have a very special guest with us, the Soul Reaver himself, Mr. Michael Bell. Michael, how the hell are you? I'm good. Now that I'm at Oscar, I'm thrilled. <laughs> Is it cold this time of year? Oh, God. Absolutely. <laughs> Deadly. My wrap off. <laughs> We usually get started by asking our guests if they recall their eureka moment, you know, when you were bit, bitten by the acting bug. Do you have a specific moment in your life you can point to where you decided to take the acting plunge? Gee, you know, I go back as far as, you know, I'm not like one of these, uh, these guys say I was, uh, I was a longshoreman and somebody said you had a nice voice and somebody said you good looking kid and I said I was doing it since I was five years old. I won. Wow. It's always trained for it, studied for it, didn't come by it easy and it inspired. So when did you, did you always have a knack for voices? Were you always just making funny voices around the house? Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, uh, but that, this wasn't my, uh, this wasn't my interest. My interest was theater and film and uh, got to do that, got to go into contract universal and do all that stuff. And then realized um, I wasn't going to get an opportunity to play the, uh, the characters I wanted to play. Uh, while I was on camera. It was great fun in the beginning and it was still fun, but I didn't get to really play a lot until I got into voiceovers and got to play characters I wouldn't normally play if I was cast, you know, on camera. So yeah, the, always doing voices, always doing characters, always imitating somebody, <laughs> always getting kicked in the ass for doing it. <clears throat> so what happens if I, while we're talking, I see someone creep up behind you and strangle you? Me? Do do? Yeah, what do I do? I always think about that when I'm talking to somebody who's a distance away and suddenly somebody comes up from behind them and goes and does a thing and puts a bag over their head and what's that person who's in another state do? Who do you call? I don't know. I, I certainly hope well me and Jason kind of live close to each other here, so I I hope you know. <laughs> Yeah, if it's between yeah, states Jason's going in the other direction, Justin. <laughs> 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 nah, I'd I'd call somebody for him if it's between states though. <clears throat> yeah, I don't I I don't know what you do. Call the mm-hmm. FBI? Isn't that ju- their jurisdiction? I don't know. But try to get the F- This is really funny because I was thinking about this sort of great premise for a film. If two people, you know, the guy, the two kids are talking, whatever it is, and somebody sneaks up behind him, literally strangled, and then that character looks into and sees him, and he shuts off his zoom. And oh shit, he's been seen. And then that's the whole movie. Is that that's a great way to anyway? Just well, at least uh, you could scream or something just to warn me, and then maybe yeah. I can defend myself. There's always that. I was I saw that one of your regrets was that you wish you would have pursued Broadway. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you have any roles that you wish you could have done? Maybe some dream roles on Broadway, some performances. You know, I should have studied more. I should have studied scene dancing more. I became an Arthur Murray teacher. I think I would have loved, and I didn't stay around. 
not that I should have done. I have no regrets about it other than that. All right. So you started in 1956. You've had almost 20 years in the field before you started uh, voice work in 72 here, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, by the way. Started in where? So you started uh, voice work in 72 on Houndcats, if I'm correct? Oh, yeah. That was for... Okay. So did that start a domino effect for your career? I don't think there was any domino effect. I just, I was fortunate. I came in at a time that there was a very small group of people that were male, mm-hmm. most guys and freeze. And I, I was just fortunate. I met somebody who was a sensational voice lady, Joni Gerber, who was just sensational. And we went together. And during that period of time, she said, you're wasting your time doing your on-camera stuff. And I was doing on-camera at the time. She said, you have so many characters inside you, you never can get a chance to do that. So she had me go in and do a session with um, her friend, Mel Blank, and her and his son, Noel Blank. And Noel threw me in the room with Mel and sort of a commercial with me. Which wow. Is and then, uh, I mean, Mel Blank. Yeah, that's a story. That's a, you know. Whoa. And, uh, and Noel said, uh, Dad, uh, I want you to play an East Indian character. And Michael, you play this young guy on your carpet or something. And we started it. And then he said, no, no, Dad, you, you're doing an Indian. I want an East Indian. And they started again. And he said, no, no, Dad. It's a, okay, Mike, do you do East Indian by any chance? And do. I looked at Mel and he said, go, go, boy, chick. You, you do it. No problem. Play the other character. And I did that. I came home. I said, beat out Mel Blank. Mel Blank. I did something Mel Blank couldn't do. There was the one thing in the world that he couldn't do that I was able to do. Not that I could do his other stuff, but I could do that. And how exciting that was. And they, and they got to work with him, of course, in the speed bug. That is, that's quite a claim of fame. <laughs> so are you doing much from home now due to the pandemic? <clears throat> no. Um. A little ADR, but for the most part, zip. You know, I'm I'm at a stage in my life where a lot of youngins audition, but a lot of young people, a lot of young shows, a lot of Turks coming up behind me. I do a lot of teaching, but I have been doing some ADR for Netflix for foreign films, pretty much. It. And what's interesting is, I don't perceive myself having a voice that could be considered an old guy, but uh, I get stuff to read that for 70 and 80 year olds. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a little confused by that. And I wonder, okay, you want me to sound like this? Should I uh, be somewhere in here? No, do your voice. Said, my voice doesn't sound like that. I don't even sound like my balls dropped, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm an 80-year-old guy. But all right, fine. Uh, your words, not mine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> do you see uh, having a home studio being a necessity for future voice actors? Always. It's uh, uh, yeah, always since the, even way before the pandemic, obviously. I mean, I have a whisper booth, Mike, and said, I send my auditions because traveling was hell going into the agency and then recording and you head on the freeway. It was always. Right. I don't have any of the equipment Bob Bergen has. I just never really invested in. So we had Larry Kinney on recently, and sure, he was. I- he was detailing the differences between recording now, which can be done from home, separate booths, or you may even have motion capture. And as opposed to recording in the 80s when uh, you got a show like Thundercats was recorded by five people in the same room. So I wanted to ask if you kind of miss that personal group aspect of the work with everyone kind of being in the same room and building off of each other. It was like a party. It was like you invited to a party you got paid for. <laughs> Absolutely. Great fun. Um, we did the Smurfs, Transformers, G.I. Joe, all those shows done that way and i think then suddenly we started to compartmentalize it they said mike you're coming in but everybody else will be showing up in, in division because they all have other jobs and before you know it, we're working by ourselves it's, i call it vocal baiting <laughs> and you just it's it's you just by yourself getting off it's just goofy you think that's that's hurt the work a little i don't know if it's hurt the work i don't know if anybody notices i really don't you do 
you do three, two or three takes and you do it, you know, and then you send right. it in. And I, I think it takes, I don't know if there's joy being taken out of it or not. I don't know. And now, of course, with the pandemic, you're not going into a studio anyway to by yourself. So it's hard to say. I don't know. I think Justin dozed off in the conversation. Oh, it looks like he's having some connection issues. Let me shoot him a message real quick and we can keep going while he's that's uh i thought i put him to sleep oh no it's it are his connection he kind of lives out in the sticks it's not the greatest so oh okay all right but uh while he reconnects yeah um what kind of pointers did amy hennig give you if any at all for direction in your portrayal of razzie oh she was wonderful she and uh and our director. Uh, I mean, they, they, it was it was it was really cool. They, they just knew what they wanted, and I was I was surprised since there were so many Brits in, uh, in Hollywood at that point. I thought, well, I, how do I stand a chance playing a, a Brit? Because Raziel is in the obviously. And she said, no, it's what I want. It's the sound. She was just there to guide me. You know, it's I don't know if there were pointers. Just she was there. She was there to guide me. She. I think it was great as as um, as a producer, and I'm sure she had a lot of input. I think that. Uh, she let the actor be, let the actor do it. That's, That's always really good. We had Simon Templeman on, and he had nothing but good things to say about her. So. Yeah, Simon's cool. I like Simon. Yeah, he was, he was a <laughs> really, phenomenal guest. Really talented. Really talented. Very talented. I was going to ask you. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's okay. I thought you fell asleep. Your eyes were closed when you froze. I went, oh, my God, I put you to sleep. <laughs> he dozed off in the middle of an interview, first time. I had some technical difficulties on my end. Okay. What were your first impressions of Simon upon meeting? Oh, I just said he was so cool. You know, and the cast was good. It was a cool cast, but Simon was really cool. I mean, the minute that voice popped up, I said, oh, this is going to be. That's, that's the fun of working with somebody. You get something from them. All actors will tell you that. You, you, it just, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, when you're by yourself, you're on a seesaw. So you wind up sitting down and then you run to the other side, then you sit down, you run to the other side and you sit down and you know, the effect is a little bit different. Where somebody's working with you, it's so cool. You know, he's, he's, he's super. I mean, you guys are the main characters of that series, obviously. A lot of the tension and dialogue is built around the relationship between you two. So as you guys were worked together over more and more games, it was, did switching into Raziel and Kane become muscle memory almost? It always is. By that time, yeah, by that time it is. I think it was a mini-series, and we didn't do it for the fans of conventions. I was so surprised. There were people that stood in front of me that cried. It's mm -hmm. you. Oh, my God, it's instant. I said, pass out. <laughs> yeah, take your time. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I saw that you said several months ago that you weren't reprising any of your Rugrats role, but I just saw that you were credited as Chaz Andrew. Did that change recently? Oh, okay. So they're no, just... I saw that too, and I also saw that uh, there's some other people. That... No, uh, they made the decision. I heard from my agent months later, and she called me up. I said, "What's going? I hear it's going." She said, "Yeah, it's going. It's going." And finally, she called me. She said, "They're they're uh, they're going with a lot of young people. That's uh, okay too. I just didn't want anybody playing my role, so I have no idea what the scripts are about. I know Kath is in it, and E.G. Daly. I know, and maybe Tress. I don't know." Tress is busy doing Animaniacs. So, but I don't know what adults are in it. I was under the impression. They said, that's okay. We love Mike. We love Mike. And we're going to, we're going to find something for him to do. Yeah. Right. Sure. They'll find something. So they're, they're just crediting you in it. And there's actually I have no idea. I, I, I don't know who put who posted that at all. I, I don't, I don't buy it. 
I don't see it. I really don't. Not unless they bring Chaz back or Grandpa Boris. And I know they're not Grandpa Boris. And I don't know if they'll bring back Chaz. I, I don't have a clue. It'd be nice. Well, uh, do you know the behind-the-scene extras that were included on the the video games? That's That was one of the first times fans got a look at the voices behind the characters that they love in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And those have become iconic. You know, those are on YouTube. People, I remember watching those over and over again. So when you're in that moment, is there a pulse that you have your finger on that you can tell things are going well and that this is gaining some popularity? You know, you really don't know. I've done so many games. So the people remind me of a game I've done, I don't even recall, and, and games I thought were wonderful, really, really super dialogue, wonderful characters, and, and nothing, nothing. And then suddenly you get the success of something like this, which really took like, this For me, this was even more than Ratchet and Clank, which, I, which people, some people remember. Uh, this, was, this was the quintessential for me. Would you say that your work on Legacy of Kane is the work that resonates with the most with you? I don't know if it resonates the most with me. When you say resonates, I'm not sure... You know, Jason, when you work on a show or a game, particularly, it's done segmented. So it's not as if you're doing a TV series where you're with the cast every day for two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, and so much has happened. You're there for a day or a day and a half. About it. It's just so much time to cover. With it. It's just, uh, it doesn't stay. None of it stayed with me. I mean, I did it. And then here's the thing. And I don't know. Oh, we got someone. Marcus. He's just joining us and he's swigging what looks like vodka. Um, <laughs> good evening, Michael. How are you? Sorry for good the evening. Uh, I, I, I never played games. Uh, I just, it's not my year. It's just something I'd rather read a book. So uh, Amy said, I'm going to give you, we have finished it. I'm going to give you a Soul Reaver and I'm a new PlayStation. I thought, wow, that's lovely. It was. And so I took it home and my daughter helped me hook it up. I think she was just born. Didn't even, she, I think she crawled over and hooked it up because I didn't know how to do any of it. As an adult, only babies, anybody under one knows how to. And so she hooked it up for me about, oh, so she came in later on and she said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get Raziel on the, on the second hook. There's like a clip and you have to get him on that clip and I can't get him up on the clip. She said, Dad, that's just the beginning of the game. I said, yeah, well, I just started. She said, you've been here for four hours. Four hours, I couldn't even get the game started. And because I, I wanted to get to the, to the video, I wanted to get to the visual. And you just can't jump to the visual. You've got to play the game. So I wrapped it up, tied it up nicely, and gave it to some kid who desperately needed games and didn't have a PlayStation. I gave it to him and his mother. I said, take it up to the Ozarks. Have a wonderful time. <laughs> Years later, of course, now I can go to YouTube and see what it was I did and see how wonderful the cast is and how cool it looks and the effects and dynamics of it. Really, it's beautiful. I don't know anything about the game other than it looks good. So when I go to conventions and people who are really into Raziel and the game will say, do you remember when? And they will describe the situation. And I, I you know, you're going to have to get a life because I have a clue. I've been <laughs> you were shut in because I have no idea. You want me to remember something from the game that my character, when they killed a particular, I played some of the characters that they killed. I played other characters that, because you, know, you, you get give them three voices, you get three voices. So it was me and then two others or whoever came along and said, who remembers that? Again, good evening, Michael. And again, like I said, apologies for the tardiness. It's okay. Um, I want to know, uh, how did you initially get introduced to the role of Raziel? Well, they called me up and uh, brought me in and said, we'd love you to read for this. It's pretty much, it's very rare that anybody just gives it, at least now. They used to do that, but then after a while, everybody else had something to say. You have a committee that makes the decision. So the whole committee has to make the decision. 
So I think Amy had a lot to do with it and said, yeah, that's the voice I want. Because I didn't know Amy before that. And he said, she said, that's what I want. And the fact that he was a, a Brit was great fun for me, an opportunity to really go outside. The- and did you do anything specific to prepare for that role initially or once the sequel started spawning? You know, you you don't have to. You really don't. Once you once I was in the character and they had the sequel, I said, Yeah, I know who he is. No matter what he no matter what confronts him, no matter what happens to him, I know I, I'm in there. And I'm also I'm in very capable hands because he's a good writer. It's wonderful. So it's uh, I just you just dive in. As an actor, you just dive in. You really can't prepare too much for a game. It's very difficult because they keep changing it. So you- Um you spoke about um just briefly before about how fans will come up to you at conventions. Are you kind of surprised at all, like how fans kind of hold this game in such high regard, like almost 20, yeah, I believe 20 or 30 years after it's come out? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, in the first couple of conventions, I didn't even have any photos available. And when I came back to LA, I said, I, I got to get some photos of, and then I, I spoke to the artists and they, they sent me prototype etchings and drawings of them when they first start. So I have those, I have a lot of etchings as well as some wonderful stuff. And then one artist came, artist came up and he did a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. And I had that reproduced and those all go at the convention. I mean, I'm always surprised when somebody comes up and says, you were Raziel. It's it's bizarre because it never occurred to me because it's not as if they come up and mention any other game, maybe maybe one character from Ratchet and Clank, but that's about it. It's all Raziel. Okay. Um... Kind of the last Legacy of Kane question. Can you give us maybe your fondest memory of working with Tony J or most memorable moment? Tony, Tony, rest in peace, Tony. I'm sure he's got, he's, he's probably talking God's ear off. Uh, I directed Tony in uh, Peter Pan for Fox. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, he was one of my pirates. Uh, Tim Curry played Captain Hook and Jason Mars as Peter, 12 kids and Tony J. Oh God, Tony's impossible. I love them dearly and marvelous, marvelous voice. He kept coming up to me saying, you know, I'm I'm really much better. You understand I'm much better for I'm really Captain Hook. I should be much better for Captain Hook. I don't think he's doing it right. I said, Tony, just do your part. You're wonderful at what you do. Yes, <laughs> but I, as Captain Hook, I should be I mean that was constant. And then and we, he was so that's that was Tony. Then we saw each other, of course, and I was so glad to see him be so Um, If possible, could you give us a life experience that was most helpful in shaping your craft? Well, you know, I, I, it's hard to say. In terms of the craft, I haven't done anything really major, I think, as an actor. As certain actors can say that they've done. I, I'm basically, because I've been a voice of cartoons, and it's so in and out and quick, and it's already in and of itself what they give you. There's no time to research. There's no time to dig deep to say this is what something in my life that, that has moved me to do this right. I think uh, certainly, in, certainly not in the case of uh, a game like this, because this, obviously, I've met monsters, but not like the monsters I've met in Nazgoth. Uh, <laughs> I think the best part is being a hero. I think that... Uh, in life, I don't know how, how heroic we are in life, but that's always fun to be a hero in games, especially in animation. But I don't think there's anything that prepared me. I'm not sure there is. Okay, switching gears. What is a normal day in the life of Michael Bell like? And to kind of make it interesting, let's say pre-COVID and post-COVID. Well, post-COVID, between naps, uh, <laughs> I'm up and about uh, feeding five cats, three dogs, um, 
teaching voice animation. I have a Zoom class. I teach voice animation. And uh, starting early in the morning, it's uh, getting everybody fed, picking up poop, cleaning out litter. It's very exciting, very Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, what are we going to have for dinner? I'm vegan, so I have to figure what the hell I'm going to have because I've got a limited menu. So we have to figure out, my, my wife will always say, oh, I don't know what to make for dinner. What do you suggest? So I'm going to rummage around and see what the hell I'm going to have for dinner. Um, staying on top of um, pre, pre-pandemic, staying on top of my daughter's career, who's a successful actress, director, and producer, just talking about her all the time, which is my joy, and uh, working in uh, animal welfare issues, and now uh, and political issues and environmental issues. I keep very busy doing that. That's pretty much my days. It's, they're not as varied as I'd like them to be. But pre, pre-pandemic, I'd go to the theater a lot. Love the Groundlings, which you wouldn't know is a, an improv group out here, great improv group that my wife is one of the uh, sensational actors and comedians or graduates. So, so we go and spend time with, that's it. It's, it's a, it ain't Hollywood. I'm not going to parties, you know, not anymore. I won't tell you what I did before I got married because I don't think this is, uh, I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think your audience is ready for it and I could get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And last question. Um, you've, you've been with us for a long time. You're 80, 82 years old, correct? Yeah, sure. Count, and, count, and happen, count the rings. <laughs> and you've seen our world and lives change multiple times with technology yep. advancing. Did you ever believe it would get to this point? And do you think it's too much? You know, I, you know it's an interesting question. That's really interesting. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it is a, it is a, wow. I don't know if it's too much. I think it's, we don't know what to do with most of it. I think that it's also interesting that it's here, but when you think something as simple as keeping the earth clean and keeping our wildlife, our environment, our environment safe and water clean and air clean, we're so busy doing other things. Um, and we can do that. We can do all of that. And you, you pick up uh, any one of these brochures that you get, there's all these gigars that people have invented. You go, Look at this fantastic thing, all this time spent on that. And and yet we're not really working on something that we could easily take care of. Mm-hmm. I know we could handle most of the problems that the world faces, but we're humans. We're the, um, we're the, uh, we're both on two levels. We're both the, uh, the gods and the enemies of our world, unfortunately. Hmm. It's really kind of sad. Indeed. Well but said. Zooming, when people say Zoom, I, oh my God, Zoom. You know how long it took me to figure out what the hell that was all about? <laughs> you know, I haven't got a clue. I'm still trying to figure out how the, how the turntable works. How come <laughs> the, the plastic makes music? How come my phone knows where I am? I mean, and, and when, I first, uh, when I first got on the computer and I can tell, is this closed circuit? When, when I first got on the computer and a friend said, you've got to get a computer. And I didn't be bothered. They finally gave me his old computer and I pushed it. And he said, you know, this is what you do. And he showed me how to do it. Real simple. It was very simple. It was like driving into a Model T. It was an old computer. And I typed in, he said, you can get anything you want. So I typed in naked people, just as a joke. <laughs> naked people. <laughs> and I went, oh my God. And I called my wife. I said, you know, look at this. Look what's on my computer. <laughs> and I began to type in terrible stuff like terrible stuff like naked dwarfs and naked dwarfs came up. <laughs> and I said, old people screwing. And old people <laughs> screwing. And I went, oh my God. This this is what is this? What is this I'm looking at? After a while, because it was boring. But in the beginning, I thought, is there nothing that I can find? And sadly, there was nothing that I couldn't find. And after a while I wasn't interested because there was some horrible stuff popped up. I said, I want to see that. 
So that's what's so interesting is that all of that was so amazing to me. It's, I was fascinated. And of course, it has to stop being fascinating in terms of the new stuff that comes up, but I don't keep it. It's like if somebody, my daughter wants me to get a new car, and I say I wouldn't know how to drive it. Because unless all it had that brake, gas, a radio, and headlights, I'm fine. But all the rest of that digital stuff, I'm pissed up. Yeah, I um, I would like to ask. I'm I'm blessed to still have a few people around your age in my life that have uh, been born around the time you are, and I always want to ask them that question, you know, because they've literally seen the, like I said, the world change in front of our eyes, just mm-hmm. like from refrigerators, running, running toilets, uh, color televisions, and to to think that. Yes, I was there. I was there. The first TV set in Brooklyn when I was a kid was eight inches, an eight-inch TV set, and mm-hmm. they had. They had a test pattern on it. And when it came on, it was a test pattern of an American Indian with all kinds of dots and radiation around. And sit there like a bunch of schmucky kids staring at that test pattern. It was fascinating. Just look at the test pattern. And then on came Howdy Doody, which was a puppet show. We were knocked out to be in the peanut gallery and how to go down to Radio City Musical to be in the peanut gallery for Howdy Doody would have been extraordinary to see all of that. I mean, I was a radio kid. I used to listen to the radio. Now I'm watching this. How unbelievable to watch. And then it would go off the air at a certain time. I mean, it hit like 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock and that was it. There was no more shows. I mean, think about it. Think about how all of that. You look back at that now and you go, oh my God, how fascinating how far we've come. Oh yeah. I think about movies. I thought, what if you took Jurassic Park and you took it down to the back into the 20s or the 30s as the first movie ever seen. Can you imagine audiences sitting there watching that <laughs> foot come up and everything? They'd be heading out there. Be heading out there. People ran out the doors when when uh, there were certain, certain movies that I saw that were horror films. People were running out there because it looked real. You don't remember because you're kids, but we had a thing called smell-o-vision. You'd go to the theater and they had the seats equipped, and if the murder murderer was in the room. They said earlier that he wore a certain cologne, and we never saw who, we had all these people, and also you'd smell the cologne, we go, oh my God, the killer's in the room, and it squirted out from under the seats, and it was called Smellorama. I'm serious. I'd like to make a return of that. Yeah, Yeah, that that sounds very interesting. Yeah, that sounds awesome, actually. Then there was the tingler. The tingler was the murderer, and when the murderer came, and he, it was like, they electrified your seat. And you'd sit in the theater and you suddenly go, you know, what the hell? And you knew that the killer was in the room. It was the tingler. Think about it. Those were all the beginning of all that craziness. I guess the less you can do on screen, the more you can do for the audience actually watching the movie, you know? All this stuff. But with Smellorama made me laugh because they started out with the documentary. First you smell roses and then something else came up and then something else came up. And then there was really a gross one. I think it was people getting tested there. They were getting some sort of test from their feet and you smell feet. You went, what the hell? I mean, they had all that stuff screwing up under your seat or somewhere, somewhere in the theater, squirted out. I don't recall, but that was, and people rushed to see Smellorama. I think I would too. Of course. How unusual. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my God. I mean, seeing a horror movie, that would add an extra element, like tingling, like when a scene comes up or the killer comes up. That sounds awesome, actually. And it was, it was called The Tingler. You can look it up. I think you can Google it. The Tingler, the movie, I think Vincent Price might have been all those. Vincent Price, might, it's just, it's just so funny. And when you look back on that, it probably would go big now if you could get into a theater. But that was, yeah, yeah. That was what we had. It shows you how the difference, what, everything they tried to make. And then, of course, there was 3D and we all went and saw it. Yeah, I uh, have, uh, as an actor, what are some recent performances that you've seen that you appreciate the most? 
Well, there's there's been so many. Uh, when you say performances, uh, actors, uh, I'm a big I think just sensational. Amongst the ladies, of course, you know, Meryl Streep goes without saying. Recently saw a film called uh, A Promising Young Woman, which will be coming out in Christmas. Some excellent performances, young people. Excellent performances. Uh, I'm 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 a fan of good work. I really am. I love. Uh, I love I love movies. That's why that's was a big attraction. I'd love to have been in something important. I've been in films, but nothing really important. <laughs> I'm in an underground film which is so horrendous called Damaged Goods, and in it I get clapped. <laughs> and I did it if I did it was one of my first movies and I did it for a hundred dollars a week and it was on sixteen millimeter and it became eventually thirty-five millimeter. It is so bad it's good. I'll have that's to check that one out. Yeah, definitely. Damaged goods. And I am so goofy in it and so silly. And I thought, why would anybody hire me after I left it? But I was lucky. <laughs> so what were some of your favorite films growing up? Growing up? Oh, yeah. uh, The High and the Mighty, um, Written on the Wind. Uh, those old dramatic films of when I was a kid. Bambi? Good God. And recently I was at a convention and I met the voice of Bambi. He's a guy my age. And he was sitting with his wife, and I walked over and I saw the Bambi things. I said, and, and you are, he told me. And, and I said, and what did you say? And his wife said, he was the voice of Bambi. I said, oh, my God. And I got <laughs> excited about meeting him as the fans are excited about meeting me. I said, I grew up. And I said the same thing. I grew up with you. Well, he was a kid at the same time. I didn't grow up with him. He was also a kid. And we talked about Disney. And then I met um, on a convention, on a, two conventions, um, the, the, the gal who's like 90 something now and moves very slowly. And we spent, we had dinner with a group of friends uh, who was Tinkerbell. She was the design for Tinkerbell. And she was hot when she was young. She has photos of herself in a bathing suit. She was hot. And I said to her, we're sitting at dinner. And she's an old gal. She's real quite old now. And I said to her, so the truth, come on, we're sitting here, we're having dinner. So uh, you and Walt, you know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you and Walt? She said, I'm not telling I mean, my, these, this my era, you know, and, and those people. I did a film called Blue working with Ricardo Montalban, who was just insane. I, mean, I knew him since I was a kid. He was this movie star, and then we're working together. With, he's teaching me how to play pool. I mean, these are all the gifts of that period for me. I've heard your story about uh, Michael Bay and how the Transformers conversations went down. Yeah. For people that may not know, can you just tell us why you weren't involved and how that kind of how that how those conversations went? Good Lord, Michael. I forgot the guy's name, Santos or Ray or whatever the hell his name was. I heard him on the radio saying we're doing the Transformers, the movie. Oh, okay, live act. Hey, we're gonna have to do some voiceovers in there. And he said, we want to use as many of the original voices as we can get. I said, oh, great. Called my agent. I said, let's get up. She got me a number. And I contacted, hey, Michael Bell. He said, oh, Michael, no, I'm such a fan. Prowl and blah, blah, blah. And he goes into a whole big thing. And I said, is there going to be anything in there for me? Because I don't normally do this. I leave it up to the agent. But I really would like to. And he said, well, Prowl's not going to be in it. I said, well, I'll do several other voices. None of them are going to be in it. I went, oh, what if you get Jack Angel, myself, Dan Gilberson, and I know all the guys who keep contact, Neil Ross, and everybody what if you have us on camera? What if we are subsidiary characters, sort of like glorified extras? I mean, I can be a guy sitting on a bench and say, look at the size of that thing, or whatever. And somebody else is selling, selling newspapers, and he goes, oh, and, would, and all of us, because we're all actors, we could do extra work, and then you would have the old man in the street, blah, 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 all the way down the line. We'd even bring in, you know, Mary McDonald Lewis, or, you know, and Sue Blue. We'd bring in people that, that were voices, et cetera. 
And uh, he said, oh, no. I said, okay. <laughs> End of story. Nice talking to you. That's it. That was it. No. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. No. I said, you've got to use extras. You got, And we don't do extra work. None of us do extra work. But you've got to use performers. You've got to use background. They're going to have to be in there anyway. So you might as well use We all have our cards. And you can point us out. He said, yeah, no. And it's stupid. Wouldn't you think that'd be interesting for the fans to go, that was Jack Angel. That was Michael Bill. That was Dan Gilbertson. Oh, my God. Look who that was. That was me. You know, and go down the line. Absolutely. It'd be so easy to do, too. Yeah, because we all have sad cards. I mean, it's it's crazy. So, look. Anyway, I, I didn't go see the movies. The, I saw a clip of one. I said, it's so loud. And I don't know who any of those characters are. There's just a lot of big voices. I know that stuff. And the one I did like, I got to be honest, I did like the um, Bumblebee. I thought that was a charming. I like that. I'm sorry Dan didn't do the voice. I don't know why they used anybody else. It's still right on. Uh, they need a movie star. So. I have not seen Bumblebee, but I have heard people say that that movie. It was charming, and I, but I didn't like the others. I mean, I saw just clips of the others. Just a lot. Again, as you talk about the modern world, I just think that they, a modern actor, they lost the, the heart of the character. I know people had said to me when Prowl died, kids were crying in the audience. Mm. Prowl died. And, they, and it's because you, you're attuned to those characters. You get the feel because those characters make sense to you. But who's going to die for a big piece of metal You know, that has no personality? So. All right. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like um, even as enjoying the Transformers series, um, those movies, I mean, I know they're action movies, but it's kind of like sensory overload a little bit. It is. It's an overload. It's like too much of a good thing. You can do so much. Listen, when it's done well, then you, you truly enjoy it. I, I love the Planet of the Apes film. And most All great movies. Great films. And the one, the, the fight for the fight for the planet, whatever, fight for the apes. It was beautiful characters, beautiful voices, really well done. You really got caught up in it, other than just having apes. <laughs> My main issue with those Transformers films is the Transformers almost feel like extras to the human story. They are. Yeah, it's it's Shia LaBeouf and 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 the Babe, and that was pretty much it. It was just and a lot of a lot of big giant can openers running around the place. <laughs> right, was, they could do it, so they did it. You know, it didn't it didn't uh, it didn't have the feeling that Avatar had, and that was magnificent. Yeah, I saw that several times in theaters. That was just a visual experience. That was just and the characters that were interesting, you cared about them. You didn't want to see anybody die. You know. You know, you know, and even in some animated stuff. I mean, we saw the animated, the recent, most recent Lion King. Beautifully done, beautiful characters. Really, to make you, they, it's not just saying, hey, that's good animation. It was really well done. But again, it's uh, sometimes it's too much of a good thing. It's that modern, it's not, as long as we can do it, let's do it. But let's forget about humanity. So I uh, know Peter Cullen was involved in those films. Do, do you have any contact with him or did any conversations with I him see about those? Every now and then. I see him on a con I, when we were doing conventions. I saw Pete, I see Frank. Uh, I was glad to hear that Frank got what he got and, P and Peter. And I think uh, I think Charlie Adler got a, got a chance to play with them and some of the other guys, not the guys who were the originals in, in the series, but we got to use them for their voices. Um, I ran into Peter and Frank were at one of the conventions I was at, and I walked over. Uh, I, Peter and I worked together on the Voltron Defender of the Universe, so uh, we became very friendly. So I walked up behind him and see me. He was posing with people for big bucks, and I walked up behind him and he didn't see me, and I put both my hands on him. Anyway, whoa, boy! Uh, <laughs> one of the fans was grabbing a handful. What, <laughs> <But> Michael? <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. 
And uh, what are some of your favorite movie snacks? Popcorn. Popcorn. Is there anything better than popcorn? That and chocolate-covered almonds. That's, that's a good combination. Two biggies. I don't want anything that's going to squish under my foot. I don't want it too sweet that's going to stick in my No, popcorn and chocolate-covered almonds. That's it. And I don't drink I don't drink uh, sweet drinks. I don't drink Coke or Pepsi. But popcorn, in fact, look at that popcorn. <laughs> like something like that. I'm going to back up on this a little bit since we talked about Tony J. Simon hinted last time he was here that there may be some R-rated more R-rated Tony J stories floating around out there that he would tell next time. Do you, do you happen to know what he's talking about? Uh, t- about Tony? Yeah. See, no. I know Tony was married and uh, then got really successful. And what happens is sometimes when you become the big star, you realize that your mate is wrong for you. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm a star. I shouldn't be married to you. And you find someone young and pretty. And uh, I said, it's terrible. She may be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're safe. <laughs> <laughs> And he had a kid, and they were interested to his little kid. He's finding he's an old daddy, and he had a little kid. But that's all. I didn't know anything else about Tony. I can't think. I don't want to think of Tony in anything adult, like an adult film. <laughs> I had the same reaction, so I guess I'm just going to have to pester Simon until he spills the beans. Please do it. I, I wouldn't be able to get that picture out of my head. <laughs> I ran into uh, Rene Abegenois, obviously, uh, several months. We talked a little bit. He, it's like he, he went out on the conventions. He wasn't really what he was there for. So, what what is it they want to, what do they do? I said, come on, Renee, you're signing your Star Trek, right? silly. And then people will come over and remind him of, oh, what's the character? He said, oh, Soul Reaver, because they asked me. I said, well, you've done so much stuff, I can understand, get it. Right. And I have no idea, because I can't remember the character I played. So leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> At what point did you become aware of Raziel's popularity yourself? With the, with the um, basically just before the conventions, I think, think Annie called me and she said, there's a guy who wants to meet you Santa Monica, and he has some memorabilia he'd love you to sign. He's a huge fan, and she's, I've been communicating with him, and I don't know if you've asked it short, because there's also his favorite, because I, I said, but I don't have to go to his room or anything, do I? I mean, not a hotel. I mean, I don't know. Two big guys hold me and do something awful. It's a soul reaver. <laughs> so, uh, I did, and met him in the restaurant. We sat, and we shot the breeze, and he was so thrilled. And, and I finally got a feeling, as well, that's, he really was caught up in it and then wow it was like gangbusters at the, at the conventions absolute gangbusters really surprised so we've had several voice actors on and a good many of them mentioned how they find the process uh, therapeutic in a way how you can transfer some of your own excitement and anger and just your emotions into the character is do you have similar results with your work no i do that at home i know i have my wife's on the floor i told you to stop it I'm on the phone. I'm on Zooming. I'm Zooming. <laughs> impossible. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't need that. I don't, I'm angry enough at home. I have to get angry in front of the camera or behind a mic. But it is fun. It is fun. <laughs> Yelling and screaming at characters and threatening to kill people and getting killed. It's, but I, don't forget, I teach voice animation, so I teach people how to die. Several ways to die. If you're, That's always fun to learn. What would you say are the biggest differences between uh, voice acting in the 70s and 80s and uh, currently? Oh, we had to slow down during the 70s. When you did things, it was over-articulated. You know, if I'd, I'd say something, uh, well, what do we do now, Batman? Oh, we're really in trouble. Bad act. But you had to do that because they were, they were cells were painted and painted. So the mouths couldn't move that fast. Now you could just, now I'm going to just start to do something. It's at your own pace. 
you know, what are we going to do now, Batman? Oh boy, are we in trouble? I mean, that's it's more it's more real now. Yeah. Say, even when I did Plastic Man, it's, it, was, it was I had to sound like somebody. Plastic Man had to. I picked what's his name from the Get Smart series. Oh, what do we do now? Oh boy, really? Okay, we're in trouble. And I went, oh, that's a good character. What do you mean? Because somebody else invented it. <laughs> Uh, just have you been contacted or heard anything through the rumor mill at all regarding a potential legacy of Kane revival? That's that's almost like seeing Elvis Presley and James Dean having dinner with mm. Mal. Oh, uh, it ain't gonna happen. Mm, it ain't gonna mm. happen, guys. Somebody said to me, "Would you do that character again?" <laughs> I'll play his father, but I doubt very seriously they're gonna have me do Raziel again. They'll get somebody young and beautiful. I was like, it's like Rugrats. You know, it's like I auditioned for, I auditioned, I often, not anymore, but I was auditioning for characters. I auditioned for Transformers for Prowl. I auditioned for, when I did uh, Butter for Parquet, I used to go, Butter, Parquet, Butter. I auditioned for that one, that, I auditioned for the Smurfs, the movies, which I did. I auditioned for the characters I played. I'm auditioning for my career. And I finally said to the agent, this is crazy. Then what do they have me audition for? I, I tell you, you you you're familiar with GI Joe at all, and you know I do Duke. Duke, yep, yep. And, uh, so they were doing. There's a TV series. It's a it was a, a, a live action TV series, a comedy series called Community, Communion, Communion. And uh, they wanted uh, the lead character in the situation comedy gets hit in the head and has a coma, and in the coma he goes into GI Joe land. It becomes anime, and they wanted the voice of Duke. And they said uh, they called up my agent. They said we'd like to get Michael. He's in his seventies. I don't know if he's going to sound like Duke anymore. So can you tell us, can we talk to him? I hate to have audition, but can we call? So she said, all right. She called me. She said, you're going to hear from the producer. She gave him his name. And he's going to call you probably in about five minutes. And he's going to want to make sure you sound like Duke. He'll give you a couple of lines. You say the lines. I said, okay. And the phone rang. And I picked up the phone. and went, hello? And he said, and the voice said, yeah. And he said, uh, yeah. And he said, can I speak to Michael Bell? And I went, oh, yeah. Hold on a second. Grandpa? And I got on the phone. And I went, hello? And there was this voice to silence. Yeah, uh, uh, Michael Bilpey. Yeah, this is Michael. Who's this? <laughs> and he went, uh, okay, Michael Bell, who's the voice of Duke and G.I. Joe. Yeah, that's me. Where do you want? <laughs> and, there was, and I thought, when's he going to hang up? So I went, okay, here I am. Yo, Joe. Is that okay? No, it's <laughs> half the battle. Is that all right? He went, okay, good. Okay, I'll call your agent back and we'll book the session. Right? <laughs> I said to him later on when I met him, I said, you know, my ass may have dropped, but my voice is pretty much the same. And that comes to all of us in the biz, unless we're dead. So that's my story. That's my, uh, that's my, that's my redoing, at least, thankfully. If you get a chance to watch Community, it's, I think it's called Community of Community or something. Like that. It's very funny. It's a situation comedy. And that particular one is called G.I. John or G.I. Jim, whatever the guy's name, he goes into a coma. And it's really outrageous because it's dirty. It's for adults. So when we kill Destro, we really kill him. <laughs> Somebody goes, you killed him. Nobody dies in crisis. What do you mean? I just, we killed him. You killed Destro. I mean, we really kill him. <laughs> and at one point, I go, when my character walks over, one of the other characters and says, can I ask you a question? And, he's, and I said, and he says, yeah. I said, um, what do boobies look like? <laughs> and the guy goes, huh? We've never seen boobies, real boobies. It's a silly as it because you know they're so clean in cartoons. You're never going to see boobs unless it's uh, you know Adult Swim. So right. it's really funny. Right. And one of the guys comes over. He says, "Can you show me the men's room?" And he says, "How would I know? I've never used one." <laughs> it's a uh, very funny series. 
I'll have to give that a watch. And uh, it's very funny. Before we let you out of here, Michael, uh, speaking of sounding like uh, old characters, I wrote a little something for Simon last time to reprise his role as Kane, and I've written you something to follow up on that, if you don't mind. Where is it? I'm going to send it to you. You should. It should pop up on your screen. It should be on your messages on Zoom. And growing. I grow tired of your fatalism, Kane. The lords of monsters, madness, and magic are no more a plague than you, vampire. Now, come, Nosgoth awaits. And there it is. Thank you, sir. You just made our night. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again. Take care. Stay safe. You too. You too. Madness and magic. <laughs>